Welcome, friends. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences. We're the weekly radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where you get witty and charming conversation about the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers of our time. If you're listening on the radio, you're listening at 11 a.m. on Fridays on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And if not, you're listening for free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe at thecatholicassociation.org slash podcast or go to whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and look us up. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I am joined today by my good friend and colleague at the Catholic Association, our legal eagle, Andrea Picciotti Bayer. Hello, Andrea. Hey, Gracie. It's great to be with you again. Um, we are in studio today in D.C., and we invited a special friend who has been with us before. He is Father Christopher Pollard, who's a theologian with diplomas from the University of Chicago, Notre Dame, and the Pontifical Gregorian University, and he is the pastor of St. John the Beloved in McLean, Virginia, and he just recently gave your one of your many children First Communion. Isn't that true? It was wonderful. It was really, really a great grace-filled day for the entire family and for sweet little Veronica and her pal Jane. And who was wearing my daughter's uh, First Communion dress, which I thought was really special. She looked like an <laughs> angel. She really did. And and you know what she told me that the day after that, she woke up and in a groggy, waking up, having to get to school quickly mood, said, yesterday was the best day of my life. Oh, how sweet. It's wonderful when you see children appreciating um, pretty much as, as well as people can appreciate, right? The Eucharist, they, they feel the, the enormity of what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to see it in their, in their sweet faces. So let me welcome Father, who is listening to us banter. Hello, Father. Thank Hi, you Grace. for joining us. Hi, Andrea. Thank you. It's great to be here. I, last time we interviewed Father, I was in Miami, so I didn't get to meet him. He's wearing a very fetching red vest. <laughs> which It's almost Christmas. It's almost Christmas. <laughs> He's also bearded, so I was teasing him recently that he looks a little like St. Nicholas. Oh, good. Well, that's, you know, and that's a great segue because we invited Father to come and talk to us about the Advent season and the Christmas season and talking about all the wonderful um, Christmas and Advent traditions across the world, some of which we've experienced in person, some of us, some, some which we haven't, and how they tie into the story of Christmas, the reason for Christmas, the coming of our, our Niño Dios, our child God, as we say in Spanish. And if you hear all of us um, chomping, it's because I brought some of the treats that are from my family's tradition in prepping for Christmas. Uh, we lived for many years in Colombia, and there are all sorts of delicacies that are shared, um, not just in families, but everyone uh, is always giving um, food and treats, buñuelos, natilla, empanadas, and it's a great kind of overwhelming generosity that's in the air uh, leaning up. And I know we feel that here in the U.S. as well. But um, it's nice to be able to share a little bit of what we had, uh, our family had, before we got here. Father, it seems to me that after that, you know, our our religion, Christianity, Catholicism, offers us so many feast days throughout the year, so many reasons to remember um, the reason for everything and, and the reason for our joy. But Christmas has a special resonance all across the world. And, and it seems that people, um, even, even if they're uh, they maybe not so deeply invested in the religious significance of the moment and the spiritual significance, they're still very attached uh, to these beautiful traditions that, they, that, that have come down to us over the centuries. Why do you think Christmas has this special um, lasting quality over all the other feasts? It's beautiful. The, you know, the images of, of the Christ child in the manger is 
compelling. It, it's captivating. It, there's there's uh, special music. There's special food. There's special traditions that people cling to, even when people don't believe their religion anymore. They sometimes still mm-hmm. keep the the favorite parts of the religion. Uh, family traditions um, definitely uh, center around uh, Christmas. Uh, all throughout the world, in America, we have Thanksgiving as a as a great moment for families to get together. But Christmas is the great reunion. Mm-hmm. Father, growing up, you your mom was from Germany, is that right? Correct. What were some of the traditions that you had growing up in your house? It really started with St. Nicholas Day. So d- December 6th was a significant um, moment in the calendar. We would put up our stockings the night before, and we would uh, put out something for St. Nicholas uh, and for his reindeer. Um, are, are, are spoiler alerts permitted on this show? Yes. Oh, okay, good. So we didn't know that um, the things that we put out for the reindeer actually, we should have figured out they were actually our dog's favorite snacks. Oh. <laughs> um, and and then going to school the next morning, because we all went to public school, everyone at school thought we were just the strangest creatures in the world. What is? What do you mean Santa Claus visited you? It's December 6th. <laughs> like why, 19 you know, days early. Yeah. Kids in Fairfax County didn't understand that. And it's not like we cashed in either. It was apples and oranges and pencils and pens and maybe a little bit of chocolate. But it's not like it was a real, you know hall of goods. So did, did, did St. Nicholas visit you again on Christmas Day? No, 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 no. No, St. Nicholas is December 6th. Mm-hmm. So Christmas was Christmas. When I was growing up, I thought it was a German kid who happened to be in the U.S. And it turned <laughs> out, I realized in high school, I no, I'm American. I just happen to be in a German household. So many of our traditions are t- t- directly imported from Germany. And um, Food was a was a, a great good example of how German the household was. Stollen was our favorite thing in the whole world. Our grandmother made it, then our, our mother made it, and even through many years of suffering through arthritis, she still made it by hand. She taught my second oldest brother, Father Marcus, to make the Stollen. He's been the Stollen baker for Does he still at least make a the Stollen? He does. Does he take and he taught our request? niece how to make it. Nice. So now our niece knows how to make Stollen, which is Okay, Father, I'm sorry. Pretty great. What, what is Stollen? Okay, Stollen, <laughs> Stollen for, for Germans is Christmas cake. Oh. Um, Americans think it's bread. Um, so it's, it's rather dense. It's, it has fruit and nuts in it. There's powdered sugar on top. Uh, it's sometimes soft inside, sometimes very soft, but not. Um, it's the difference between um, soft and not so soft would be the difference between moist pumpernickel bread and dry pumpernickel bread, mm-hmm. right? So we're not talking about soft, like a soft like cake, a cake, like no. a panettone in Italy. No, so, you know, mom would make the, the stolen for friends and family, but if she heard that they put butter and jelly on it, they, nev- <laughs> never, <laughs> they never again got the next year. Not done, did huh? they get a stolen. Well, you shouldn't put anything on it. Is that no, a German would just eat it. It's just cake. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of begs a cup of coffee. Because it's a, well, it's, it's on the drier side of things, <laughs> but we thought it was the greatest thing. Everyone else thought it was horrible, except for a few people who really, genuinely liked it. But Christmas was just Christmas. Dad would read the 
the was your infancy dad narrative. From Germany as well, or was he's he... from Columbus, Ohio. Interesting. Go Buckeyes! And he <laughs> he was just American. He he was just American. <laughs> fluent in German. Um, worked in Germany for many years before he met mom, and uh, but and both my parents are converts too. So dad didn't have any real Christian traditions to bring to the family. Mom had German traditions, but they were both relatively new Catholics when they um, were raising kids. Mom became Catholic just before they got married. So um, dad was, he was just a good dad. He was being dad as well as he knew how to be dad. Over the years, he became a really great Catholic man. But at first, he was, he was a good man um, who had learned the faith from a good priest, but continued to learn it. So, but one of the things that was just a bedrock of Christmas was midnight mass and then we'd come home and dad would read the Christmas narrative, the infancy narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, in between the two, there was gift wrapping and uh, coffee making and stolen cutting. So we'd go to church, come back, do the last minute preparations, go downstairs, dad would read the inf- infancy narrative and then we'd open presents mm-hmm. and stay up until three or four in the morning. And then a lot of us would still try to go to morning mass because I think because it was a challenge. I, I think we, <laughs> we knew mom was going to go to mass. And, and so to go along with mom, that was a big deal. But uh, the food, um, St. Nicholas Day, um, Christmas tree. I mean, you're welcome, world, for giving you Christmas yes, trees. Right? <laughs> Germany is very generous with its traditions. But uh, some of them translate, you know, some of them don't, like any country. When I was growing up, I grew up between three cultures. In my my home, my my home culture is Cuban, and for Cubans, the gift giving day is uh, the Three Kings, is the Epiphany. Mm-hmm. So we didn't receive gifts on Christmas. We received gifts uh, when the the Three Kings brought the baby Jesus gifts. Then we would receive gifts, and it yeah. wasn't it wasn't a, a cornucopia of presents. It was one or two little toys the day mm-hmm. of the Epiphany. I also grew up partly in the United States, and we had Santa Claus, which, who is irresistible to all children, of course. And uh, the wonder of waking up in the morning and finding toys underneath a tree was fabulous. We didn't, I didn't really understand the whole thing with the reindeer and the, and the ho-ho-ho, but I was glad for the presents. And I also grew up in Mexico, and in Mexico, the gifts are brought by the baby Jesus or El Niño Jesus mm-hmm. on Christmas morning as well. So for us, it was, it was wonderful receiving gifts from every direction. Um, Can you talk about Las Posadas? Oh, sure. I want to talk about Las Posadas. So, okay, so in Mexico, in Mexico we have a, one we had, we have a wonderful tradition. We just actually did posadas at my, at my parochial school. There's a lot of Mexicans in our school. And we did the posadas on the day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We brought her mariachis, mm-hmm. and we sang to her. Everyone sang to Our Lady. Las Mañanitas we sang, which is a traditional birthday song or Saints Day song, feast day song. Um, and then we did the posadas. The posadas is a commemoration of um, the, that moment in the, in the life of the Holy Family where they're looking for lodging. Posada means lodging. When they're looking for lodging and the, the baby's about to be born. So two sets of people um, enact it. One group of people um, is the, the lodge owner or the innkeeper. And the other group of people stand in for uh, Mary and Joseph. And they sing to each other. So the, the people who stand for Mary and Joseph, they, they sing. Um, innkeeper, innkeeper, please um, give, you know, it's, it's Joseph at this, St. Joseph at this point. He says, give my, my, have my wife, she's about to have a baby, she's the queen of the universe, you need to let her in. 
the baby can't be born in this dark and, 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 and cold night. And the innkeeper, you know, he protests. He says, I don't know who you are. You can't come in here. You know, you could be anyone. You could be a bad person. And they go back and forth like this. And finally, um, the innkeeper relents, and he, and he lets them in. But that's not how the story went, did it? No. Okay. <laughs> but I like your version of the story. It's great. <laughs> well, the version Because it the ends story... in food, too. Isn't there a happy ending? Right. So at the happy ending is um, the innkeeper relents, and the two groups join. And then we all sing together the, that, that joyfulness of, of the blessing that it is to receive the baby Jesus, mm-hmm. to receive the Holy Family. And then, of course, everyone drinks and eats and, and rejoices. And we have the piñata. The piñata. When you learned recently what the piñata, yeah, we, its origins, I right. found it fascinating. So it everyone seven, thinks, seven points on yeah, it, right? So okay, everyone so you already thinks, knew that. You already knew, Father. <laughs> so everyone thinks that the piñata is uh, something you do for birthday parties to release um, candies on the floor, right, with a stick. But the original idea was it was a tool of evangelization. So when the, when the, when the Spaniards were uh, evangelizing the, the indigenous people, they had many of these... Um, uh, ways to illustrate important concepts. So the idea of the piñata is the piñata uh, has seven peaks on it, and each peak stands for one of the deadly sins. And then the stick is is the stick of grace that allows the person to defeat the, the seven deadly sins that we're all beset with, all, they're all our besetting sins. And then when this grace uh, is able to destroy um, these sins, then the piñata opens and the joys of heaven pour out, which in this case, uh, now it's candy, but it used to be simple things like oranges and cacahuates, we say. Um, peanuts. Peanuts, we say <laughs> in English. But anyway, it was a tool of evangelization, and it's, and it's a sign of, of how God's grace defeats um, this, uh, this wrongness we carry inside due to original sin. Beautiful. When you, Father, you um, minister to a, a vibrant parish uh, in right outside of Washington, D.C., and, and everyone seems like people come from a lot of different family traditions. Um, are you invited to some of these cultural traditions in Christmas time, or what have, what, what have been some of your favorites to kind of sneak into? I was just invited to my first Las Posadas. That'll be on Monday next week. Now, is Las Posadas usually in the evening or in the morning? In the evening. It is in the evening. Yeah. But Mañanitas... That's in the morning bueno, for my, Guadalupe. Yes. It's a song that says, uh, we, okay, so the, song, the story of the song is, it says, we are coming this morning to bid you good morning because today is your feast day. Uh, but it's sung at all hours of the day and night. I just looked up the lyrics. Can I read them? Yes, they're really please. Awesome. They're lovely. These are las mañanitas that King David sang to the pretty girls as we sing them to you. Wake up, my love. Wake up. Look at what has dawned. Already the little bir- birds are singing. The moon already went in. How pretty is the morning in which I come to greet you. We all came with pleasure and joy to congratulate you. On the day you were born, all the flowers were born. At the baptismal font, the night nightingales sang, It is starting to be dawn. The day has given us light. Get up in the morning. Look that it has already dawned. Father, imagine a culture where instead of singing happy birthday, that, that's how you greet that's, someone on their birthday. Mm-hmm. That is no, that's what that's what we sing. That's the birthday as, song. That's our birthday song. Instead of happy birthday to you, we say, On the day that you were born, every flower on earth was born. And on, on the day that you were baptized, the nightingale sang. So all of my kids who start, who expect me to start confession with Ave Maria Purissima, they know all the words to this song? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
That's really pretty beautiful. It is beautiful. Those, you know, our cultures south of the border are just spectacularly rich, and we're very fortunate here in the United States. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm partial, and I'm, but we're very fortunate here in the United States as American Catholics to be, you know, imbibing uh, these these beautiful traditions that that really inform the way we can be we can be Catholic in a very vibrant way. I'm going to give a quick shout out for the Colombian tradition, especially um, loving Our Lady uh, and her Immaculate Conception. One of the really lovely kind of starting the Christmas season traditions that happens in Colombia is on the vigil of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. It's called the Dia de Velitas, the Day of the Little Candles. And everyone gathers as night falls and lights candles to Our Lady in preparation for her feast day. And it's it also kicks off kind of the alumbrado, the lighting kind of Christmas lights that are found all in the town squares and in the big cities. And it's a wonderful chance. The place is crazy dangerous with so much, so much fire being lit. Um, but it's, it's wonderful to see tons of kids and candles are sold everywhere. And um, just the flickering flames of people with incredible hope uh, in Our Lady and in her maternal protection. And we, we commemorated that this year here with some Colombian friends who grew up in the U.S. Um, and didn't quite remember. They didn't have that tradition passed on, and it was wonderful for them, for the adults, to, to experience it and to pass on to their children. So I think that, um, the, like you were saying, Gracie, these wonderful traditions in the South are creeping uh, everywhere, and it's wonderful that we're able to share kind of these Catholic-inspired um, inflection moments with a culture that seems to be pushing more and more towards secularism, but is still yearning for something beautiful. It's really compelling when you realize that these traditions are inseparable from religion and culture. It's hard to say, is that a a tradition of that faith or is it of that country? Mm -hmm. What that gets at is that religion is part of culture. It's part of identity. Mm -hmm. Someone was telling me a story about meeting someone in some situation, and they said they were of no ethnicity. What a modern concept. So a hundred years ago. <laughs> just that, a globalist? That, that's an impossibility. <laughs> no, I mean, just the reality that yeah. they had no ethnic tradi- traditions. I mean, mm-hmm. they actually have been positively c- cleansed of any mm-hmm. ethnic identity, any ethnic traditions, which means th- that, that goes hand in hand with erasing religion from their identity. Oh, you're so right. And it goes with a flat, a really flat uh, civilization, right? Right. A civilization washed out of as all. Though, as though there's just a you know, a, a basic man, you know, a that can man. exist. No, that doesn't exist. It's a fabrication. Well, Father, you know, we're going to take we're gonna take that up right after the break. Uh, we're talking to Father Christopher Pollard about Advent and Christmas traditions. Welcome back, friends. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie of Conversations with Consequences, the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Andrea picciotti Bayer, and our good friend, our guest, Father Christopher Pollard. And we're having a really interesting conversation about uh, different Christmas and Advent traditions. And uh, we're going to keep talking about that. So I'm, I'm in the midst of it. I have a, a big family, and I'm, I'm a little harried and overwhelmed by all the things that Christmas 
um, our crazy shoppingness about of Christmas uh, puts in our way. And I keep trying to find ways to 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 think more about Advent, to think more in a more penitential way, right? That more more to be prepared for the coming of our King, um, in a real in a real heartfelt way, and really experience that. Father, there are different ways that we can do this during Advent. What are you were just telling us during the break of, of one that sounded particularly beautiful that I have not heard of? Lessons and Carols is an example of, to me, how our culture in in the West has become so secular that there are a lot of Protestant traditions that have been adopted by all religious Christians uh, in the U.S. Uh, Lessons and Carols being a perfect example. It, it c- comes out of uh, the Church of England and the singing of carols in the cathedrals. And it's a series of nine lessons or nine readings from Scripture that are accompanied with, with music, choral music or, or music sung by the congregation. And it's just, it's simply beautiful. It, it, it follows something similar to a sequence of readings and songs that we would associate with the Easter Vigil. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to go to Handel's Messiah, you would hear some of the very same passages of Scripture being read or, or, or being sung. The beauty of it is that it brings people to listen to and contemplate sacred scripture without it being an invitation to come listen to the Bible. Like, no, we're, we're just going to do, we're going to do something beautiful. And in the midst of it, we're going to listen to and think about sacred scripture. When I take my brother to handle his Messiah for his birthday, there will always be many priests or a disproportionate number of priests in the congregation, in the audience at Kennedy Center. But the vast majority of people who are there just love it because it's beautiful. Mm -hmm, For the music. And because it's already beautiful, they're drawn into hearing all these holy words from Mm -hmm. prophets and evangelists. And so those things that are truly beautiful but also deep and rich are really uh, really worth our attention. And they prepare, at what time... Does this happen in relation to Christmas, to Christmas Day? Anytime during, anytime during Advent. Um, we act at, at St. John the Beloved, we started six years ago uh, a special kind of lessons and carols in honor of the Immaculate Conception because mm. we wanted to do something that was more Advent than it was Christmassy. It's not, we didn't want to celebrate Christmas early. And that is sometimes what happens uh, at lessons and carols. But it's, it's the type of thing you have to experience it before you, before you get it. People still ask me from time to time, oh, how did caroling go? And like, no, we weren't getting together singing Christmas carols. You know, we, it was something just mystically beautiful that you just you simply have to see it. And then you and then you get it right. If someone tries to explain it to you, you won't uh, understand it. Yeah, you have to see it like any like so many things that are just truly beautiful. It sounds like a wonderful preparation for the enormous tenderness of Christmas. Father, I was thinking, um, I was fortunate that having grown up in the U.S., I had a lot of the American traditions, um, especially of Santa Claus and, and gifts from my parents and giving, you know, the, scraping together what little pennies I had to give gifts to my siblings and to my folks as well. And then when we moved to the Americas, we had, to South America, we had what Gracie mentioned, um, a new tradition that we had quickly adopted, and I'm really happy that we did which was teaching uh, my kids to ask the baby Jesus, the Nino Dios, for a special gift or a special intention. And, 
and it was a it was a big shift, and it was also one that I took on. Instead of asking for things, I was asking for intentions now, um, for for whether it was for people I loved or for my own family, um, and it's a tough thing. As Gracie was mentioning, a lot of people are running around and they're buying things, and they're they're racing and they're getting short tempered. How can we find that tranquility to really kind of fall back uh, and understand that this is a gift that God gave to us in giving us his son? Uh, Well, either online shopping or agreeing as a family (laughs) that you're not going to buy each other a lot of gifts. Um, No, I totally agree. The the season has taken over. Um, there There are so many ways. There are so many traditions that help uh, center the life of the family, not just the individual. The Advent wreath, lots of families will light an Advent wreath before Sunday dinner, Um, the families that have Sunday dinner together. Um, Advent calendars, uh, the Jesse tree. The Jesse tree is something that I didn't know at all growing up, but it's a genuinely medieval Catholic tradition that I discovered naturally when I uh, met homeschooling families as a priest. Again, scriptural, beautiful. It's vi- it's visually beautiful. Uh, it's it's not as though it, that it's uh, that there's music that goes along with it. I um, have absolutely no idea what me the Jesse too. tree. I'm and I homeschooled for a while. Apparently, I was in the, the proper homeschooling curriculum. What is the Jesse tree? So the Jesse tree has uh, ornaments on it for every day of December before Christmas. So twenty-four ornaments. There's a, a passage of scripture. Uh, that goes with it, typically. Uh, it, it goes back to the Middle Ages. Even the Chartres Cathedral has a window with a Jesse tree in it. And the idea is you, you gradually decorate it, but it, it's, it's a simple, uh, it's not a tree tree, as it would, would be usually something that's hanging on the wall or something that's in the middle of the kitchen table sometimes. Uh, you know, and each day another ornament is put on it, but it's a, it's a religious symbol. You know, it's somehow pertaining to preparing for the birth of Christ. Um, there's more There's more out there than even we realize, mm-hmm. right? And it's. I think it's just a matter of deciding I'm not going to ca- get caught up in it. How you do it, that, you know, it's like losing weight. How, yeah, there's no, there's no trick losing weight. You just have to <laughs> you have, have to eat less. You just have, right. You, Shut your mouth. You just have to make the decision and be motivated to do it. So not getting caught up in the culture is a matter of simply deciding uh, I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna celebrate Advent and I'm gonna celebrate Christmas. Ten or fifteen years ago, I instituted something. We have we have we celebrate Christmas. We do a Cuban Christmas uh, called Noche Buena, the Good Night. We celebrate the night of the twenty fourth, the vigil, and we usually end by going to midnight mass. So we start uh, we start early, we feast, and then we stop for an hour. We go to mass and come back and keep feasting, but. Um, a few years ago, we started. I started having a nativity scene, a live nativity. I, I put in all the little children, and, and we, I wrote out a little script for them. And it was so touching. It's such a huge success. And I find that there, there always are a lot of people at, at our Noche Buena that aren't that connected to the faith, even some that aren't Christian at all. And it's wonderful to remind everybody with the, the charm of children and, and everyone having you know, watching those little children stumble over words and, and holding up their turbans and, and their makeshift uh, robes um, at why we are gathered that day together. Uh, feasting, we have something to feast about. 
the coming of the king. Absolutely. Father, as we are kind of gearing up and getting ready for Christmas, uh, we've got the Christmas liturgy coming, and, and they're definitely within families. Some are midnight massers, some are sticking to the 9 or the 10.30. Uh, can you share, uh, tell us a little bit about what's unique about the Christmas liturgy as a, as a priest celebrating and for all of us to kind of pay a little bit more attention to when we go to celebrate the Christmas feast? Well, uh, a nativity scene, right? There's a medieval invention, St. Francis of Assisi. Um, it's, it is a time to spend extra um, quiet moments in church, before Mass, after Mass, usually after Mass, to to meditate, to, to put yourself actually there as though you were alive 2,000 years ago as a participant. It's, it's, um, it's a great way for people to learn how to pray the rosary, for instance. Uh, ideally, we would have a a vivid imagination, and we would be completely um, immersed immersed in, in the whole experience, mm. focusing on that, where the, the, the beads or knots and the, the prayers are, it's really like the waves of the ocean just lapping against the hull of the boat. They're, they're not the focus of the attention. The focus is on the mystery. And, and the nativity scene is a perfect example of how people can be introduced to a deeper prayer because they don't you don't even have to invite people or suggest that they visit the nativity scene they do on their own they, <laughs> they're they, drawn to it yeah they they linger right they look they um they're not just paying a quick visit um so that that to me that's a, a kernel of not only why it's so popular because it's so visual and so compelling but also how we can make the most of it is to allow our allow our heart to follow our senses and to go back to the manger in Bethlehem and just spend spend time there unfortunately the liturgy moves really quickly so if you don't do that on Christmas Day you'll have a few days um, we'll celebrate the Holy Family right or the Sunday in the octave of Christmas depending on the calendar we'll celebrate Epiphany but all, all, already that's the twelfth day of Christmas, and we are celebrating um, the three kings. Um, I think it's really worthwhile to spend our own time reading the, those first paragraphs mm -hmm. and pages of the Gospels and, and piecing them together. We may very well come to the conclusion that the the Epiphany, the visit of the of the three wise men, might not have been in the days or weeks after he was born. Mm -hmm. um, it's entirely um, compatible with with the words of sacred scripture that they went back to Nazareth. We know they were coming to Jerusalem annually for the pilgrimage. So, um, who was it that was killed um, in search of the baby Jesus? Not the newborns, right? But several years boys of you know boys of several years of age mm -hmm. were being slaughtered. Um, and because one gospel will say they went back to Nazareth. 
But if we follow that trajectory of the three wise men, they went off to Egypt. That's not a contradiction. It's an invitation for us to actually piece the Gospels together. They're really historical narrative. They really make sense. So without turning this into a Bible study, there's <laughs> for the people who are, who are already celebrating Christmas and already doing a lot, um, there's probably so much more to it than they imagined because we're, we're familiar with what we've always been doing. There's so much more to discover. The epiphanies themselves, too. I say it in the plural because the church really celebrates three epiphanies, not just one. Usually we associate epiphany with the visit of the three wise men, but liturgically we celebrate our Lord's um, being discovered and worshipped by the outside world, and we celebrate his um, presentation uh, later on, Um, but we celebrate his baptism in the Jordan as an epiphany, and we celebrate the wedding feast at Cana as an epiphany. Those are the three epiphanies? The three epiphanies are the wise men, his baptism, and the wedding feast at Cana. Oh, I never the heard man, that. The manifest, so you look at the consecutive Sundays, mm-hmm. that's what we celebrate. Uh, and even in the, in the Liturgy of the Hours and in some of the um, more succinct prayers of the church, all three are mentioned in the same sentence, in the same phrase. These are the manifestations of, his, uh, uh, of who he is, of who has come into the world. Um, but then I, I mentioned presentation, not as one of the epiphanies, but also to tie it into the Christmas season, because that, that'll be a debate among practicing Catholics. When is, when is Christmas over? When can we take our tree down, right? Is it, you know, uh, uh, is it a New Year's? Is it Epiphany? Or is it the presentation of the Lord, right? February 2nd. Um, that's, where, that's where the Feast of Light finds its culmination, where he is, he is presented uh, in the temple, so, it, Father, when, it follows a chronology. It's it? forty days, February second. It's <laughs> okay. 40, forty days after Christmas. It's the fortieth day. So, on the fortieth day, the boy was presented into the temple. Uh-huh. A sacrifice would be offered for his mother's purification and his purification. We know that they sacrificed turtle doves, which means they were poor. They were a poor family. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they would have had to have sacrificed a larger animal, right? And this is where the 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 prophetess Anna and the prophet Simeon declare. Um, that God's promises have been fulfilled. You know, that's where we get the, the prayer, nunc dimittis, for, for night prayer. Lord, now you, like can, you can let your servant mm-hmm. go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Um, it's, Christ is the light that has been revealed to the nations. And so uh, it's this beautiful um, chronolo- chronological um, imprint on the calendar where we have his birth on the 25th of December and the presentation 40 days later. In between, because we're celebrating these sacred mysteries all in uh, out, really outside of time, we, we compress the, the different mysteries and the different epiphanies that happened over the course of many, many years into a few weeks. But his, um, his, his birth as an event found its ultimate, you could say, conclusion, right? The, the last of his birth events was his presentation in the temple. Right, and so um, it's like our baptism, right? It's right, and why do we call it in you know it, Latins um, for centuries have called it Candlemas, right? Oh, so you have this mass, you have this mass early in the morning, and the altar is just filled with candles, and and people are processing into church holding lit candles, and it's it's just a you know beautiful beautiful way of of 
not just visualizing what happened because you're looking at a piece of art, but you're actually inside the visualization of it, right? You're actually part of uh, how it's being celebrated. When you were talking about sitting in front of the nativity scene and meditating and, and entering into that, into that uh, as, as a participant even, right, and imagining ourselves as participants, what always strikes me when I do that is the, the immense uh, humbleness of the scene, the poverty, the, the lack of opulence, uh, of anything beyond subsistence. Do you find yourself uh, preaching on, on that... Uh, on that manifestation of how God manifests Himself in that in that uh, materially poor way when when you when you preach on Christmas. Sure, right. Uh, I mean, I say sure, right, because I'm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's it uh, it begs to be preached. Um, usually, when a, a seminarian has has begun to learn um, some of Scripture. Uh, uh, and the young priest is eager to, to share it, you will always hear a great homily about the manger, right? Mm. What is the, the word manger? What does it mean? To eat. It comes from to eat, right? Manger. Manger. Right? And um, he was born in a, in a feeding trough, right? Where? In Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, right? So <laughs> this has the Holy Eucharist written all over it, mm. right? And what's the greatest example of, of God, the creator of the universe, being small and humble and poor and simple and given to us in the Holy Eucharist. There's a, a wonderful experience that uh, I've had. I'm, I imagine Gracie, too, in um, some small chapels that we're familiar with. Oftentimes during the Christmas season, there's a beautiful porcelain baby Jesus, and the tradition is to kiss his feet, kiss his little forehead, kiss his hands, um, and to really kind of connect with that tenderness that he displays. And you're, you're, you're right about the gift of the, the Holy Eucharist and the, the profound, I don't know, like kind of loveliness of all of this. Uh, I'm hoping that you're going to have like a little beautiful baby Jesus. I promise that we won't drop him like we've done in other places. But, um, but it, it's, it's a nice way to engage with the kind of... Um, human attraction that we all have to that wonderful love of God's creation, of God's generosity towards us. None of us can resist the urge to kiss a little human baby here on earth and to be able to kiss the King of Kings uh, and remember his kindness is, is a great tradition. He must have been the prettiest baby ever. <laughs> Total <laughs> snuggle bear. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Father Pollard. Thank you. For talking Advent and Christmas with Happily. us. And we hope you have a very, very you too. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for our smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. This week, as is customary, Father Roger Landry gives us a short but brilliant homily on this coming Sunday's Gospel. Please stay tuned for Father Landry and do look up his daily homily written in audio on his website, catholicpreaching.com. 
This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation God wants to have with us this Sunday as we draw closer to Christmas. Human life, as we know, it's difficult to have a meaningful conversation when we don't know the name of the person with whom we're speaking. Similar with God. God doesn't want us trying to converse with him as some type of cosmic higher power or generic force. Throughout salvation history, we see God revealing his name. He reveals himself to Moses, Yahweh, I am who am, as well as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, showing how much he wants to have a personal relationship with each of us. This Sunday, we will see revealed the names with which Jesus wants us to relate to him so that we will be able to call upon the Son of God and have a personal bond with him. Both of these names help us to ground our relationship with the Son of God on what he seeks to do in us. First name we encounter is Emmanuel. Throughout the season, we're singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We need to know what we're praying. There's a dramatic scene in Sunday's first reading. Isaiah the prophet goes out to see King Ahaz of Judah during the time when the capital of Judah, Jerusalem, was being sieged by the kingdoms of Israel and Syria. Ahaz is about to make an alliance with the brutal kingdom of Assyria so that the Assyrians would come to liberate Jerusalem. Isaiah goes to tell Ahaz not to seal that alliance, but to have more trust in God than in the Assyrian king. Isaiah told him that God would give him this sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Regardless, Ahaz rejected the sign, ignored God's counsel to the prophet, and formed the alliance with the king of Assyria the first in a cascade of bad choices that eventually led to the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish exile. The true and definitive fulfillment of the sign given to Ahaz, however, we see in the gospel. Seven centuries later, in describing the miraculous event of Jesus' conception and birth, St. Matthew wrote, All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But Jews pondering Isaiah's words never fathomed that the fulfillment would be anything more than the sign of a God who would bear all those attributes, that God would literally fulfill that prophecy in two ways, that a virgin would conceive a child and remain a virgin, and that God with us would actually be God with us, that God would take on our nature and come to abide with us, that he would be descended from David according to the flesh, Sunday second reading, and the very Son of God. The fulfillment of this prophecy would not just be a sign that God was on our side, but actually the signified presence of God at our side. This would make the sign announced by Isaiah a sign for all times. God has given us this enduring sign that even when we're experiencing tremendous human difficulty like Ahaz, whenever abandoned, God is with us. God is, of course, with us in many ways, through creation, through grace, through scripture, through his image in others through those he has sent out to act in his very person, through his mystical body, the church. But there's one way above all others by which Christ remains in us. We have to confront with joy the practical consequence of this as we approach Christmas. Jesus is truly and substantially present for us in his body and blood. The Eucharist is Emmanuel, God with us. Same God who was in Mary's womb, we receive in our bodies at Holy Communion. Same Jesus whom the wise men traveled such great distances over months to adore, we have the same privilege to worship. And all we have to do is hop in our cars and drive short distances. The question is whether we take that presence of Jesus as seriously as they did, and, or whether we take it for granted. God is with us.
but do we make the effort to be with him? Second great name shows us that there's a purpose to God's presence. God with us doesn't come along to leave us where he finds us. He's come to lift us up, literally to raise us from the dead. He was born so that we might be reborn and live a new life with him. This is attested to in the name the angel tells St. Joseph to give the son of Mary. You are to name him Yeshua. This name Jesus, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Joshua, means God saves. And the angel tells Joseph quite clearly what God through this infant will save the Jews from. He will save his people from their sins. God is with us, therefore, for the purpose of saving us from our sins. The Son of God didn't become God with us merely to hang with us, as the teenage colloquialism goes, but to hang for us. He took on our human nature so that he could give that nature as expiation for your and my faults. And this is something that is constantly in the present tense. Emmanuel means God is with us, not God was with us. Jesus means God saves, not God saved. Not only does the name Jesus interpret the name Emmanuel, but the name Jesus also makes possible Emmanuel. Because Jesus saved us from our sins so that we could be so much more fully with him who came to be with us. Because our sins prevent that communion. That's why this Advent, it's key for us to let Jesus save us from our sins. In the sacrament he founded on Easter Sunday night to do so. Our appreciation for Jesus coming into the world is directly dependent on whether we realize we need him. That we're sinners in need of a great savior. And whether we come to receive the medicine of his mercy in the way he himself established. So we prepare for Christmas, it's not only a time to prepare gifts for others as a tang tangible expression of our Christian love for them. It's also a time when we focus most on the gift God wants to give us and prepare ourselves to give ourselves to him in return. What gift does the divine birthday boy want from us? He, of course, doesn't need anything material. After all, he created the heavens and the earth. But he wants from us whatever part of us we haven't yet given to him. God didn't give us a sign like he gave Ahaz, but he gave us something greater, an efficacious sign, a sacrament that he instituted to bring about what the sign indicates. God's presence with us in all our difficulties in the Eucharist and God saving us from our sins in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. God wants us to receive the two great gifts that he established for us in our salvation, the two gifts corresponding to his two names, the gift of his presence in the Holy Eucharist, Emmanuel, God with us, the gift of his saving forgiveness in the sacrament of penance, Jesus, God saves. Living these two sacraments well will help us to experience the meaning and enduring reality of Christmas. God bless you. Thank you, Father Landry. Unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. I was joined today by my colleague, Dr. Um, not doctor, <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> Take me down a peg, please. Although a woman with 10 children is probably pretty close to doctor. There were, there were some births that didn't have any medical professionals there around, but I wouldn't consider myself a, neither a doctor nor a midwife. Well, we had a very nice conversation today with Father Christopher Pollard. Um, St. John the Divine Parish. Oh, I'm sorry. The beloved, not divine. I got my St. John's mixed up. And he, uh, he, he talked to us about Christmas. So many wonderful Christmas traditions that, that keep us away from the shopping mall and with our heads firmly in the game, the game being the fact that our king is coming to us uh, and making himself our, our little baby for us to love and kiss as we were talking about. Well, Gracie, thank you for coming up and and 
having a chance to talk about this. It's a great way to end the Christmas season uh, or enter the Christmas season uh, and really enjoy this faith that we have. If you've been listening on the radio, thank you for listening to Conversations with Consequences on the Guadalupe Radio Network, 11 a.m. on Fridays. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast of our show wherever you get your podcasts. And do review and rate us. It helps other people find us. And thank you so much. We'll be talking to you next week.